while he was sitting in jail, and Colossians is one of them. Um, and uh, it's, it's only about four chapters, so um, it's a relatively quick read. Um, and, and I would suggest you to, I would encourage you to, to kind of read this book on your own and follow along. There's some very interesting stuff in it. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a quick story. I, when I worked at the, at the children's home, this is probably four or five years ago, um, we, you know, like the children's home, we were, we were a residential uh, placement. So like kids who were taken out of their home, sometimes they came to the, the, the home from jail or sometimes from the state mental hospital or what have you. These are kids that that, you know, sometimes you had to keep them from running away. You know, you had to chase after them and stuff like that. And, and sometimes the police would visit. It was kind of a rough crowd. Um, but one of the things we tried very hard to do was take residents out into the community as much as possible. You know, to the movies, to the library, to, to go shopping, to anything we could come up with. And, and we had a guy who was um, our, our recreation director. He was a, he was a neat guy, uh, very colorful. And, and he got kids involved in running in races in the community, um, which I, I always discourage it. I said, you know, if you've got kids that might run away, you want them to not be able to run far fast, but, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, and so, like, for, for several years that I was, I was there working with him, he would get kids and he would take them out and they would run, like, in, they did a 5K in, in um, one of the area, one of the towns in the area. And, and one of the races they did was a, uh, was a 5K. It's like three miles, I think. That's right, right? <laughs> it's about three miles. He, he took like eight kids out to run in this three-mile road race through the Elkhart County Parks Department. And um, the race was through the park, and, and it was, there were a lot of people there. And he had one or two guys that were, were going to do well, okay? And these were guys who were athletic, and they were fast. And, and part of his job was to keep an eye on all of them so they didn't run away. Now, this is a challenge, and there was a lot of, like, well, we're going to fudge on this because you can't possibly watch all eight of these kids with, you know, the thousand people that are running in this race. Well, they had one guy who took off and was in the front of the pack, right, and was doing really well, and, and he's watching him. He's trying to keep up with all the kids, and then all of a sudden that guy was gone. <laughs> and the, the moment of panic, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I can't tell you how much I, I lost kids in different places at different times where they took off on me. And there's this moment of panic, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's gone. And then you have to try and find him. And, I mean, he was just gone. And so, like, the rec director's looking all over. He's looking in the crowds. He's, you know, at the finish line. And, and um, he, he, he's just gone. And, and after a little while, this kid comes tearing down the road and crosses the finish line. And he's all proud. And he says, nobody passed me the whole time. I did so well. <laughs> And he kind of looked at him, and he's like, what you, you know, what, what did you do? And they, they discussed it, and they figured out that this guy was doing really well. He was way ahead of the pack, and he made a wrong turn. And he ran about five miles, but he ran his five miles on the wrong path. He ran the wrong race, and he did really well. But do they reward you for running the wrong race? <laughs> Not really. Like, so he did an amazing job. He was the best at running this race that he ran, but he was also running the wrong one. And so, like, he didn't win. Why didn't he win? Because he ran the wrong race. Everybody with me? You, you can't do that, right? You can't get up and, and you know, you'll read about this every once in a while where folks will, um, there was a guy a few years ago who was running, like, the New York Marathon, I think it was, and he, uh, he, he like, ducked to the side and caught a cab 
and rode the cab to the finish line, <laughs> jumped out of the cab and crossed the finish line. And he finished with one of the best times ever until they started looking at the little GPS device that they had put all on all the racers, and they figured out that he had gotten on a bus, or a taxi, excuse me, and, and, and he didn't get a reward. Why? Because he didn't run the right race, right? The race was to run the 26 miles through the city of New York. It wasn't to run to a cab and take the cab to the end. Um, as we start in on Colossians, um, Colossians is, is kind of an interesting book. This is a book that is written, it's a letter written to a church that Paul didn't plant, right? And it's not entirely clear that he'd been there. Um, but he was approached by the guy who did plant the church and asked, hey, we've got some problems. Can you write you know, a letter to these guys and help them figure it out? Because what had happened was there were a lot of really smart people. I can jump to my next slide. There were a lot of really smart people in this church who had started to get confused about things, right? They knew what the message was. They knew who Jesus was. They had heard some really solid preaching. A lot of really good stuff had happened. But, like, they're in Greece, and there were a lot of philosophers in Greece, and they started talking to the philosophers, and they're like, wait a minute, this fits with what we're doing. And so they added it. And then they'd talk to someone else, and they'd be like, oh, that's a clever idea. Like, the, the mystery religions of the period were, were um, very popular, and, and Christianity didn't fit with the mystery religions. But they said, well, yeah, but that mystery religion is pretty cool. What if we take some of that stuff and mix it into what we're doing? And it, it became a little like a salad bar. Anybody, have you guys ever been to a salad bar? You start, <laughs> salad bars are great, or buffets. You start walking down the line and you're like, wow, I could get lettuce or I could get the deep fried, you know, like fun that's farther down. And so you skip the salad and you get the stuff you like. And after a little while, you've got some pizza and you get some chicken and you get some, you know, steak and you get some, and you get everything mixed together. And that's where these guys were. They had the basic message of the gospel. And they had taken all of this other stuff and mixed it in. And Paul writes to him and he says, listen, you guys are doing a good job, but you're kind of like you're getting lost here. You're taking some wrong turns and you need to get back on the path because if you run the race, the, you know, if you run the race and win, that's great. If you run the wrong race and win, you didn't win anything. Um, and so a big chunk of this letter is dealing with um, some of the false teachings that it come up, but it's not an angry letter. Paul has a tendency when he deals with false teachings, he, he's mean, right? Paul, um, there was a group of, well, I, I, anyway, um, Paul has a tendency to be really sharp-tongued and to say some pretty rough things to people who are misleading the church, and he doesn't do as much of that here, because he's not talking about these guys as though they're n no longer Christians. He's correcting errors that have taken place. And there's some really good stuff that comes out of it. So just a quick overview. The major themes of this letter, um, first off, um, the first major theme we're going to see is, is um, related to like who Jesus is and what we're supposed to do with him, right? Because there's this major false teaching. The other end of it is, is about adoption, right? You guys know what adoption is? Like, like um, Paul talks about the idea that we've been adopted into God's family, right? That um, I love this about uh, Good News Club, um, that they do this uh, with the girls. It's more obvious because I, I, the princess thing, right? Like they say, well, look, if you are a follower of God and you're, you're, you're a girl, you're, you're a daughter of a king, right? Because you're adopted into his family. As the daughter of a king, you're a princess. And so they, they have the girls sometimes will wear little crowns, which my daughter wears around the building all the time. <laughs> and and they're, they're princesses because 
They're adopted in the family of God. And this letter deals quite a bit with the idea of being adopted into God's family. Okay? So these are the two major themes. We're going to get into it a little more in the weeks to come because most of this letter is an introduction. Um, there's a name that's going to come up, a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras planted the church, right? And, and he was, he's the guy, and his name will come up over and over again. He's kind of a good guy. He's a great preacher, so, he, you know, like, like Paul acknowledges that. And so, the, you know, he's a guy that's got a lot going for him, and, and he's the one who kind of pulled Paul in. He's like, Paul's like the church mechanic. You know, come fix this for me. Um, so we're going to jump ahead. First Corinthians, or Colossians, I'm writing the wrong book out of the gate. Uh, chapter 1, 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossa. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a very standard letter introduction, right? Like if you lived in the ancient world, you wrote letters almost the same way over and over again, right? And this is how you would open a letter. And actually, it's Paul and Timothy are writing this. Um, part of the reason for this is probably that in his later years, Paul maybe went blind, okay? Like he had bad eyesight is generally what's assumed. May have had malaria that causes blindness, but whatever. Like, like he would hire people or he would pull in friends and they would pen out what he was saying, right? And, and uh, so it's maybe the case that Timothy is writing and Paul is dictating, Everybody with me? Um, but it's co-authored by Timothy is one way or the other. Um, he mentions that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle is funny because we don't use it very often, right? An apostle was somebody who knew Jesus personally, right? Who was one of Jesus' followers from the early days, except Paul wasn't. Paul is the exception. God comes along and makes Paul an apostle. He's different. But otherwise, everybody who was an apostle was somebody who was with Jesus from the start. Right? And because of that, they had special authority. Right? Like they, they were considered by the church to be able to like teach in ways that nobody else did. And like if there's a book in the New Testament, it was written by an apostle. There are other books from the first century, like the Shepherd of Hermas or um, the Dadach, these old, 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 old books that aren't in the Bible because they weren't written by apostles, like guys that knew Jesus. Right? So when Paul says, I'm an apostle, that's like throwing out your credentials, right? That's that, that nasty moment when you get pulled over and the cop walks up and he throws the badge out first, right? If he's not pointing a gun at you or whatever anyway. <laughs> but he comes up and, you know, the lights are on. He's putting his authority out there like, hey, I'm in charge here, right? Or, um, well, so Paul opens with, I'm, I'm an apostle because God named me an apostle. And Timothy, who's our brother, and we're writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossa. Real quick, saints, um, anybody, well, if you have some Catholic background or like Eastern Church background, um, saints, you kind of assume that these are guys that are like awesome, right? And, and it's sort of like being in the Hall of Fame of Christianity. Um, the, the, you don't see that in the Old Testament or in the Bible, right? Like they don't really acknowledge that as much. Saints is anybody who has faith in Jesus, right? So Paul is saying to the saints, the people who are saved, the people who have faith, um, grace and peace to you. This is sort of like, hey, thank you. I'm writing you a letter, and I'm wishing you good things. It's a very standard introduction to a letter. Moving right along. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So 
Paul opens up, and again, this is very formal writing, right? He says, hey, we thank God for the stuff you guys are doing because we've heard really good things about you, right? What's he doing? He's kind of buttering them up, right? This is not an angry letter because Paul is opening with, you guys, we've heard good things about you, and we thank God that you're out there. We thank God that you guys are out there doing what you're doing. He's not slamming them. He's not tearing them up. He's, he's opening with a fairly nice thing. He acknowledges that they have faith in Christ. Why is that important? Because it's going to come up over and over and over again. Um, specifically, quite a bit here in the next couple of verses. Um, the hope laid up in heaven. Um, all of the hope that he's talking about, all of the good stuff that he's talking about, is stuff that's coming out of the gospel, right? Which is specifically, I'm going to be clear here, the gospel is that Jesus, God's son, came to this world and took punishment for our sins, right? So when Craig or Ross or Michael or um, anybody else like who has faith in Christ, right? Like they have faith and Jesus is then punished for the bad things that Craig or Michael or any of us do, right? And so we receive forgiveness and Jesus takes our punishment. And then what we do in exchange is we follow God, Right? Like, we come under his teachings. We live a different life. Um, this is what God calls us to. And so this, this faith thing, like, it's a, it's a big deal. The gospel, um, in a very straightforward way, is a huge deal because once you start changing that stuff, you start messing with the stuff that God had planned out for us to do, and you start running a different race. Everybody with me? So I say, well, I have faith in Jesus, but I believe I said I was gonna, wasn't going to do this. I talked to Michael about this last night. Um, there's a scene in uh, uh, Talladega Nights. Has anybody seen that movie? I, I, there's a scene in this movie where they're sitting around praying, and they start arguing about which Jesus they believe in. And, and the one guy's like, well, I only like the baby Jesus. That's the one I like, so that's the only one I pray to. And the other guy's like, well, I try to think about Jesus at a Leonard Skinner concert. And so what, what are you talking about? You know, and they, they all say, well, this is the Jesus I'm going to have, right? It's like Build-A-Bear Jesus, where I, I want this body, and I want these parts, and I want this stuffing. It, it, they start making up their own thing, right? Um, you break away from the race at that point. If you decide that you're going to make God in your own image, God stops being God. And then the race you're running, the God you're following, isn't God. It's who you made. Everybody with me? That's why this is a huge deal, because if we stop following God, the God who he is, um, we have a problem. I see my wife face palmed right there. I, I'm going to hear about this all week. Um, so, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So Paul says, listen, the gospel, that message, it came to you. Right? And it just like with you, all over the world, it's doing great things. It's changing people's lives. That message, why does he say that? He's throwing out the credentials, right? Um, Christianity at this point is relatively small. It's probably 20 or 30,000 people, right? Um, in a very short amount of time, it becomes several million. Um, it grew very quickly. But good things come out, are coming out of it. Um, God is doing great works in the lives of those who are hearing about Jesus, right? And so Paul says, listen, the message you heard, not the Build-A-Bear message, the message you heard is changing the world. He's throwing out the credentials for what he's preaching, right? Um, there's every two weeks there's a different diet. Anybody ever try fad diets? Like, oh, I'm going to do Adkins this week. I'm going to do the milkshake diet and... <laughs> 
I, I heard about some McDonald's diet I'm going to do. We were talking about that before service. I'm just going to eat McDonald's and hope for the best. <laughs> um, but but it, like say if I was going to do Adkins, I can't just say, I, like I actually would have to do Adkins, right? I can't say, well, I'm doing Adkins and then eat McDonald's every day or eat lots of spaghetti because then I'm not doing it. Um, do you, Paul is talking about a very specific like plan of salvation, a very specific faith. You can't just jump off it and do whatever you want, right? If you're going to do it, you're going to do it. If you're not, you're not. And Paul is giving the credentials. Hey, this way of life works. Just like when you meet somebody who's like, I lost 100 pounds eating nothing but, you know, hamburger with no buns and no bread. That worked for me. Um, He's offering credentials for the faith. He says, listen, the gospel is changing the world, even as it is doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, who was the guy who planted the church, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ, on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Now, um, Paul says, listen, it's changing the world just like it changed your lives. The message that you heard from Epaphras, from the guy who planted the church, his message, and it's creating a love in you that's unique. We're going to run over this real quick. Like, as Paul is talking about here, there's like five components. Um, a shared love, where it's like the same love that they all carry for each other, for the world, etc. Um, there's a transforming love. Um, the idea behind this, and this is something Paul talks about frequently, these guys love in a way that's changing their lives, right? I've talked about it frequently. If you learn how to love the people who are messing with you and making your life worse, if you figure out how to love them even though they're messing with you, It'll make your life better, and it will change you. In the same way as if, has anybody ever been, like, hurt by somebody and hates them today, years after the last time they saw them? You hating them ain't changing them, is it? It's changing you. Love does the same thing to us. And so as Paul talks about this love of the Spirit, this is a part of it. This is a love you have for folks that changes your life. Um, controlling love, meaning that they love and they act in a certain way. If I say I love my wife, but I never come home at night and I waste all our money and I, you know, <laughs> like mistreat her and everything else, I, you know, my love ain't changing my behavior. This is a love that changes how they live. Um, this is the, like, like what the gospel produces in us, right? It produces a love that's like powerful and amazing and alters us. Um, brotherly love, meaning that like Michael over here is my brother in Jesus, Right? I believe that. And, and I love Michael to death, right? Michael can come to our house. I'll get up in the middle of the night and go help Michael with something. Like, he'll come help move a rotten freezer out of my garage. Um, like, like, it changes. The, the love that we have because we're family in Jesus changes us, right? And I'm willing to bet that most of the folks in this room can point to instances in your life where you're like, wow, this person loved Jesus, so they did something awesome for me. Or they treated me in a way that was different, and it was amazing, This is a product of the gospel, right? As Paul is putting this out here, this is sort of an implied part of their teachings because it's over and over again in Paul's teaching, right? And there are specific Greek words that apply to these. We're not getting into that today. Um, The final is respectful love, um, which is is a love that, like, prompts a certain kind of treatment of other people. Um, If you want the verses associated with those, email me and I'll send them to you um, because we're running a little long this morning. for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased, of, ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, 
we're starting to get to sort of the meat of what Paul is talking about here. He says, listen, we've heard all this good stuff about you. We know all these good things about you. God is doing all of this amazing work in your life. And so, as soon as we started hearing about you, we prayed, and we have never stopped praying, that God would fill you with wisdom and knowledge, right? Um, years ago, I was taking a class, and, and we were assigned to read a certain book and write a paper about it. I, I bought the book on, on Amazon. I read the book, and I wrote the paper. And three days before the paper was due, I realized I had read the wrong book. It had the same title, but a different author. Now, I could turn that paper in, but how's it going to go out for me? How's it going to turn out? Bad, right? When Paul talks about them being filled with wisdom and spiritual, like spiritual wisdom and understanding, he's, he's trying to draw them back to this conversation. Listen, run the right race, right? Figure out what's true about who God is and believe that. Um, because just because you want to see Jesus a certain way don't mean he's that way. He is who he is. Jesus is like has a person, is a personality, and he is who he is. And we can't say, like, I could say, well, my, my wife, you know, loves, loves, loves waiting on me hand and foot and rubbing my feet. And, you know, I could say that's true, and I could want to believe it's true, but, you know, is it? No. <laughs> it's not, is it? <laughs> um, like, so no matter what I believe about a person, it don't change who they really are, Right? You'll see this oftentimes, actually, folks will get married to a man who's mean, you know, or you'll see women who will marry a man who's, like, abusive. You say, well, there's good in him. <laughs> there, there might be, but you're ignoring everything else, you know, or, or girls will fall, like, especially young girls, like, they become infatuated and they fall in love with boys and they say, oh, he's so wonderful. And they list off all of these things and, you know, he's so smart and you meet him, he's dumb as a sack of hammers. You know, but they've got this version. This is what I want to be true about them, so it is. Um, Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to be filled with wisdom, if you're going to be filled with knowledge, if you're going to be filled with this, like, mental understanding stuff, make sure it's on the right subject. Make sure you're reading the right book, because if you're reading the wrong book, you're not going to know Jesus. And you're going to end up living a life chasing a race, a path that's not the right race and path. Moving on to 10. So that, actually, i got to, all right, um, uh, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he comes back around to it. He says, listen, if you're filled with knowledge, if you know Jesus, if it changes your life, it's going to result in you walking a certain way. If you learn it wrong, what's it going to do? It's going to mess you up, right? Like I, I uh, th- there was a, 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 a funny movie. I don't remember the name of it. It's a martial arts movie where they took an old like like 1970s black and white or you know 1970s like kung fu movie and they did voiceover for it. And and one of the things that they joke about, one of the guys in the movie can't fight, and so the teacher says, "Well, I teach him how to fight wrong because I think it's funny." And so, like, he tries to go out and fight people, and he gets beat up over and over again because he doesn't know how to fight. He learned the wrong lessons, right? Um, It's a little like that. Like, if you learn the wrong spiritual information, it's not going to translate into right behavior. It's not going to translate into a right life. It's going to translate into something that's different. And so, like, as we look at how can God change me, how can God 
turn me into who I'm meant to be. If I am a prince or a princess in the family of God, made like in his image for a specific amazing destiny, how do I become that? Well, the start of it is know what you're learning. Because if you're studying French, but you got the Latin book out, you ain't going to get it, right? Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for attaining of steadfastness and patience. I've talked about this a few times. I talked about it last week. If we have a five-gallon jug of water in our, in our kitchen, right? Because big sandy water, I guess you can't drink it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it... it <laughs> It, but I use it to fill my coffee maker, right? And Abby loves playing with a five-gallon bottle of water, right? Can Abby lift up the five-gallon bottle of water? Weighs just a hair over 50 pounds, and she weighs, I don't know, what, 20, 30? Yeah, she cannot lift that thing up, but she wants to move it around. And sometimes I pick it up, and she grabs it, and we carry the water bottle around the kitchen. Can she do it on her own? No. She can do it when I pick it up, Right? Um, she'll roll it onto its side and roll it around, which is obnoxious because one day that top's going to come off and it's going to be a huge mess. Um, but she'll roll that thing around and she'll try to manhandle it. If I decide it's going in a different direction, can she stop me? Not a chance, right? If I try pushing my car and just pushes it in reverse and runs me over, can I stop it? Not that that's ever happened. <laughs> um, no, because the car is stronger than me. When he says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, what he's talking about here is, again, in the same vein. God is really strong. God is capable of doing all kinds of awesome stuff. And through me, he can accomplish that stuff. But if I decide to do my own thing, he ain't going to help, right? If my daughter tries to pick up the water bottle and I'm not helping, she can't do it. In the same way. If I'm learning the right language, if I'm learning to follow, like, the God, he can do amazing stuff. But he does it on his plan, not mine, because he's in charge, I'm not. And so what Paul is talking about here, it's an extension. He says, listen, you people are going to have to learn the right thing. You can't just mix it all together. God isn't a salad bar, right? God is who he is, and you come to him like he is. Like he has a personality. He wants to know us. He wants us to know his personality. And if you try to force it a different way, you're going to be on your own. But if you learn it right, you're going to have strength on your side. You're going to have this like, like power and might that's on your side because you're moving with God. Um, final verse we're going to be covering today. Um, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Um, Paul closes. He says, listen. As we learn to know him, as we learn to work with him, um, it produces a thankfulness in us, right? Um, just a quick question. How many of y'all have, like, like, ever come to a point where you had a decision to make and you decided to do God's thing and it worked out? And it worked out awesome. And you're like, man, I wasn't so sure about this, but doing what God wanted worked. On the other side of that, it produces a thankfulness in us, right? I just once wrote a wrote a tithe check instead of a mortgage check. Um, and she hates that I tell this story, but um, she had a decision. She made a mistake, and she said, well, I can write our check to, to God like we've committed to do, or I can write our mortgage check. And she said, I'm going to write our tithe check and just hope for the best. And the next day, a check showed up in the mail to cover our mortgage. She said, well, I did what God wanted, and, I, and, and he took care of me, right? 
Like it produces a thankfulness. My wife has told that story to me, and at the time she told it to a lot of people because she's like, look at what God did. Um, That thankfulness is a product of intimacy with God, right? If I make up my own God, he ain't going to help me much. Even if I call him Jesus, right? Like if I, you know, set up a golden calf in my yard and say, that's Jesus. That golden calf ain't doing nothing but killing my grass, which the weather will do on its own anyway. Um, So we're thankful as a result of this. It creates an attitude of thankfulness when we operate in harmony with God's plan and in the direction he planned for us to operate. Finally, he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Um, we're, we're all sons and daughters of God, right? Like everybody in this room, um, awake or asleep, attention or no attention, like um, tall or short, young or old, pretty or not pretty, um, rich or poor, all of us, if you have faith in Christ, you're a child of God, of the creator of the universe, of the God that hung the stars in the sky. When he was hanging on the cross, he thought of you. Um, before the creation of the world, he decided that Rose would be Rose and that she would have wonderful kids and, and a very tall husband. Um, like God decided all of that stuff. And through faith in Christ, we're brought into that like promise. Um, and ultimately, all of us were intended for better. And Paul says, listen, follow the plan. Live the gospel. Don't forget the message you received. If you can manage that, you're a part of this ultimate goal God has set for you. Um, starting next week, we're going to look at who Jesus is, right? Um, what does the scriptures tell us about Jesus' identity and how like, we're supposed to react to him? Um, and this is sort of what like, the, the major theme for the next few weeks is going to be, how do we walk this walk? Who is this Jesus person we're supposed to know? Um, my challenge for you this week is to back up and ask, what have I forced on God in my own, in my own decisions? Like, where am I at? Like, what, what has found its way in? I do this regularly, and it's really disturbing for me. <laughs> you say, oh, well, maybe that's not what the Bible says, but it's really what I want to be true, right? Um, and what are you willing to believe about God? Um, we're going to close in prayer, and do we have a last song? We do? And we're going to have a final song. We're a little long today. I, I uh, never stop talking. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us to to walk the walk and walk the path that you've laid out for us. Help us to have faith and and wisdom that's in harmony with with your will and your your, um, path for our lives. Help us to come to know you like the real you intimately. In Christ's name, amen.